Thank you, Harry, and uh, thank you all. Uh, the research that uh, I want to talk about this afternoon is actually the third in a series of studies that I've conducted on the students who matriculated here at the law school uh, in 1987. So in order to describe this third study, I have to say a few words about uh, the first two. So study one. When I began teaching at the law school, <clears throat> I was struck by the fact that in my courses, the first year students seemed uniformly enthusiastic, constantly call on me, call on me, and disappointed if I didn't. Whereas the third year students, a good, <laughs> well, I don't know. You know where this is going. Uh, not all of them by any means, but some maintained their enthusiasm, but a whole lot of third-year students seemed to think that the clock on the wall was going much too slow uh, for them. And my first thought, of course, was this was, this was something about me, but in talking to my colleagues, it seemed like many of them uh, had the same experience. So I began to wonder, why is that? Why do some students maintain their enthusiasm while other students kind of uh, give up the ghost? So being a psychologist, I thought back to this then recent concept in psychology of explanatory style. How a person explains negative life events to themselves might have something to do with how motivated and enthusiastic they are uh, in the future. Right. And certainly in terms of negative life events, at the time, recall, in the early 1980s, with the mean, mandatory mean was 3.0, most students graduated with at least two C grades on their transcript, which they no doubt interpreted as a negative life event. Right. So by the mid-1980s, a psychological test had come out called the Explanatory Style uh, Survey Questionnaire. And this test purported to distinguish between people who had two kinds of explanatory styles. An optimistic explanatory style and a pessimistic explanatory style. Optimists seemed to interpret negative events in their life in a way that was uh, external and specific. So that optimistic student, upon seeing the C grade, interprets that as saying, I didn't do poorly. The professor gave a stupid exam. <laughs> And while I didn't get a good grade here, my love life was fine, so I'm good. Whereas pessimistic students attributed negative events in their life uh, internally and globally. I screwed up this course, I screw up every course, my girlfriend or boyfriend is definitely gonna leave me, and that's how they interpreted things. And there were a number of studies done in fields other than the law, primarily in business fields in the mid-1980s, that all came to the same conclusion that Optimists did better in life than did pessimists. Optimists were more uh, successful later in their careers than were pessimists. But no one had ever studied this in law. And I confidently hypothesized that, well, no, why wouldn't this work in law as well? And I said, well, you know what, I'm going to be the guy to prove that. Right. So I got permission from uh, then Dick Merrill to give out this explanatory style instrument to every student entering law school in 1987. I gave it out during orientation, got a 100% response rate. They were definitely on their best behavior uh, during orientation. Now's the time to, uh, uh, to do it. And I followed people very carefully throughout law school until they graduated and uh, even uh, shortly after that. And the good news mm -hmm. is that explanatory style does indeed predict many things about people's legal education. Uh, 
Indeed, it predicts uh, your ultimate grades three years later in law school. It predicts whether or not you're going to make law review. Right? That was the good news. The bad news is that I had the hypothesis wrong by 180 degrees. Right? In law school, pessimists did better than optimists. No one else had ever, had ever found that. Times like that, I feel the same thing. Thank God for tenure. Right? right? But in thinking about it afterwards, what I thought was pessimism in the legal context is simply the wrong term. The term should be something more along the lines of prudence or carefulness. Those were the people uh, who said, I better study more so that my grade will be higher. In any event, I published the study and promptly forgot about it uh, for 20 years. Okay. Study two, 2007. Uh, then colleague, now at Columbia, Jody Krause, uh, came and asked me if I would co-teach with him a seminar in legal careers. What kinds of legal careers are most, type, most people satisfied in uh, and what not? And I thought that would be a very good idea and it would be fun. And I thought I was working on the syllabus and I thought back to that study of explanatory style I just mentioned. Uh, and I wasn't interested in explanatory style anymore. I did that once and it didn't quite work out. But I kept thinking about all those people 20 years ago that I studied very carefully for three years and all that I knew about them. And I said to myself, wow, I wonder what those people are doing now. I wonder what they're doing now in their careers and I wonder what they're doing now in their lives. So my first thought was, do I still have that data? So I ran into the storage closet and opened the drawer and there was the data. But it was on floppy disks. <laughs> Five and a quarter inch floppy disks that actually flopped? I'm sure the younger people have no idea what I'm talking about. But, um, and then we couldn't read it. So we finally found a very old uh, computer in the basement, dusted it off and indeed could get the uh, data. But I needed some support for this because, for two reasons. One, for a statistical consultation, because analyzing all of this longitudinal data is quite complicated, and my skills in that regard uh, are quite rusty. And also I needed the help of the Center for Survey Research on campus for actually conducting the survey and putting the website and reminding people. So I had lunch with uh, then John Jeffries, and I explained uh, to John why I wanted to do this study and that I needed a little support. And he said, great, do it. But I was worried that I really hadn't been forthcoming. Uh, so I said, listen, something you ought to know is that longitudinal studies like this almost always fail because it's a very mobile country. You can't find people 20 years after you first study them. And John looked at me quizzically and said, well, that's not a problem. The foundation knows where they all are. Right. <laughs> So on study three, right, uh, 2017, last year, Risa Goldiebaugh becomes our uh, new dean. And uh, like many of my colleagues, I stopped by her office to give her my congratulations. And we chatted for a while. And I went to leave. And Risa said, uh, so John, if you have any ideas of things that I might do as dean, you know, feel free to you know, let me know. And I said, really? <laughs> She said, yeah, and I said, well, remember that 20-year follow-up that you said you liked because Risa and her husband, Rich Schrager, used it in a seminar here before? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I think it'd be great to do a 30-year follow-up. And Risa said, well, so do I. 
And with that, we are here today. Right, right. So the uh, study uh, was done with Jeffrey Swanson, who's a, a sociologist and statistician at Duke University who worked with me on this. The study was accepted in Journal of Empirical Legal Studies. It should be out in uh, eight or nine uh, months. I also want to uh, thank Kent Olson, who did marvelous work in terms of uh, finding everybody here. I'll just give you the highlights now because the data get becomes very complex and I could go on for a long, long time. The four questions I wanted to ask. All right. People who matriculated here 30 years ago, what are, where are they working now? Uh, have work experiences for them changed in the past decade? How satisfied are they with their careers? And how satisfied are they with their lives in general? So I asked the same survey questions last year as I've been asked uh, 10 years before, and I'll tell you what some of them were. We added questions to assess change in the last 10 years of their lives. We sampled everyone who responded to the 2007 survey. We got a response rate of 81%, which is literally unheard of for things like this. I would say that I hounded these people, although who knows who hears these. <laughs> the tapes could be heard by the Institutional Review Board. Let's just say I strongly encourage people <laughs> to respond. It's not you again, is it? Yes, right. They responded. Great. Participants, they were 43 last time, they're 53 now. 86% were currently married or partnered. To my surprise, 63% people still had children living at home, one would imagine mostly high school people. Uh, health status, 95% self-rated their health as good to excellent. So question one, where are they working now? You can see here that a, a little more than a quarter are working at large private law firms, defined as law firms that have at least 100 lawyers in them. Right. 15% uh, at smaller firms, 15 for the government, 21 people in business and other uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, self-employed consultants or academic was 22%. Uh, percent. Here is the, the enormous difference that happens over time. They're the people uh, who graduate, uh, matriculated in 1987, graduated in 1990. 58% of those people left here, their first job was in a large private law firm, particularly in Washington, uh, New York, uh, or Los Angeles. Yeah. 20 years later, that 58% had gone down to 28%, right? So half the people had left, and then in the, in the last 10 years, it was just about the same. Small private firms, 23% in the beginning, when they, their first job down to 18, down to 15. Government of various types, state, federal, local, is pretty constant, 13 to 15%. What's gone up? Is business only 2% of people when they left law school went in to work for business companies? That jumped to 25% 20 years later and was pretty constant, 21% after. This also was a surprise. Other 6%, 16%, 23%. Again, nonprofit organizations, self employed consultants, and academics. So things uh, do change over time. I was quite surprised that even 35% of the people changed employers between the time they were 43 and the time they're 53, which I thought uh, was a lot to have people changing employers this late in their careers. 25% of all of the people who matriculated in 1987 are now not practicing law at all in their jobs. They are business owners, corporate CEOs, international and investment bankers, academics, and academic administrators. Right. Uh, means salary pre pre 
pre-tax salary, including any bonus, for the year prior to the 2017 survey, right? And uh, to no one's surprise, large private firms, an average of $670,000 a year. Small private firms, $376. Government, $150. Business, $483. And other, which I gave before, $241,000. 18% of the sample of people matriculated in 1987 are reported over a million dollars in income uh, the year before last. Let's look at how their work experiences changed in the past decade. We wanted to study what is referred to in epidemiology as a period effect, which is some external cause which changes things uh, in a certain period of time and only in that certain period of time. So in my youth, that uh, period effect, a lot of people study the effect of the, uh, the Vietnam War, for example. You could say what a huge flood or something, any kind of big external event and which occurred at that time and not at other points in time. And what effect does it have on people? So we wanted to study a recent effect and we said, um, okay, uh, what external event do we want to focus on? And we decided that we would focus on the Great Recession. What we said to people is, the last time you received a survey from me was just before the beginning of the Great Recession in 2017. Some observers believe that work settings have changed greatly in the, the decade since the Great Recession began. Have you, have you experienced any of the following changes in your own work setting in the past 10 years? And we gave them three options. There's a lot of popular legal literature on what big changes are in the law, and these seem to be the ones that came through in most of what was written. Uh, emphasis on globalization in the law. More international transactions, more reliance on international trade agreements. Enhanced uses of technology, more computer-assisted document review, more use of online legal services, or a stronger stress on economic sustainability, more corporations doing legal work in-house, more use of non-traditional legal service providers. As it happens, there, uh, people were not much affected by globalization, the people in, matriculated in 1987. Very few people said that that was really affecting their lives, and if it was, it wasn't affecting their lives much, and if it did affect their lives at all, half the people liked it, half the people uh, didn't like it. Not many effects there at all. Pretty much the same tr is true in the uses of technology. Most people did not have a problem with this. Uh, people talked about now uh, telecommuting, which said, you know, some people didn't like and many people did like. One person, I don't have a law firm anymore, a physical law firm. All we exist is online. And some people complained about having cell phones and you're never, you know, by yourself anymore, but a lot of people like the convenience of a cell phone. However, the final one, uh, stress on economic sustainability did have uh, a strong effect on people and the effect was principally on one group of people. Uh, people uh, working in large private law firms. 77% of the people working in large private law firms said that the increased stress on economic sustainability had a negative effect on them personally, which is double the effect in any other work setting. Uh, people complained that uh, client loyalty is just a thing of the past. People move uh, constantly to uh, get uh, more clients. That the use of metrics in the law firms is very, uh, never had been there before. The fact that you have non-equity partners and staff attorneys that never were there before. That was the one uh, stress that came through and it was primarily in that work setting and in that work setting alone. Okay, how satisfied are people 
with your careers? Well, it, one question, how satisfied are you with your decision to become a lawyer? 77% of our graduates were extremely or moderately satisfied. 16% were not satisfied, 7% couldn't quite uh, decide what they were or not. Right. The UVA School of Law prepared me well for my legal career. 88% of the people either agreed or agreed strongly with that. 5% people disagreed. 7% couldn't quite make up their mind. The prestige of the UVA School of Law benefited my career. 92% strongly agree or agree. Mind you, 88% of the people said we really benefited their career, but 92% said the prestige of UVA benefited their career. <laughs> so we're, we're great in real life and we're even greater on paper. <laughs> I feel that way about myself sometimes, actually. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Finally, how satisfied are people uh, with their lives in general? This is the Diener Satisfaction with Life scale. Five questions. In most ways, my life is close to my ideal. The conditions of my life are excellent. I'm satisfied with my life. So far, I've gotten the important things I want in life. If I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing. Each of those items scored but one strongly agree to seven one strongly disagree to seven strongly agree, so the range of scores between five and 35. This life experience scale has been, I just checked this morning, it's been cited uh, almost 25,000 times in published research and st studies using this exact scale have been done in 41 uh, different countries, right? So this is the standardized measure of life satisfaction. And indeed, Diener and his colleagues say you can categorize these scores uh, as follows. Very highly satisfied, score 30 to 35, so you score six or seven on all of those questions. Highly satisfied, average satisfaction, slightly dissatisfied, dissatisfied, and extremely dissatisfied. These are the standard categories. To find in our graduates, 40% say that they are very highly satisfied, 32% highly satisfied, 19% average, five slightly dissatisfied, two dissatisfied, two extremely dissatisfied. If you further reduce those categories to highly or very highly satisfied, the top group, or average satisfaction or higher, all three of which are in the positive direction, and then the slightly satisfied or lower, the negative direction, and you compare their scores 10 years ago with their scores now, what you get is this. 10 years ago at age 43, 68% of the graduates were highly or very highly satisfied. Now that has risen a bit to 72%. Average satisfaction or higher was 86%. It's now 91%. Slightly dissatisfied or lower was 14%, and now is down to 9%. So not huge changes, but all the changes are uh, in the right direction, right? So that or the main point, I give one question at the end, right, which I had given before. Is there anything that you want to say that wasn't asked here? Right? Anything you'd like to tell new law students? And I firmly expected that no one would write anything there because it takes time and you're busy people. As it happened, everybody wrote down something, right? Uh, so I will not read you what everybody said, but there is one uh, quote that I would like to leave you with. Quote, to this day, I'm overwhelmed by how much respect I have for the people I met at UVA. At no other point in my life have I felt surrounded not only by incredibly intelligent and creative people, but thoughtful, generous, and caring people. 
at no other law school based on my experience with fellow lawyers from other top law schools. No other law school encourages being a great worker, leader, and friend, along with being a great lawyer. It's what makes UVA truly different. I hope that never changes. Close quote. We hope so too. Thank you very much.